Hey, everybody. How we doing? Can you um, give a quick round of applause to my friends, the Canaries, who just shared their story with uh, us and all of you watching online? It takes guts to uh, put yourself out there and express kind of what God's done in your life. Can we hear for these guys who have given a lot of their time and weekend? Thank you, team, for leading us. Uh, my name is Dan. Hi. Um, I'm new. Uh, first service, like half the room was new too. So that was awesome. Anyone new here? Like, yeah, first time at Heartland? Me too. Uh, happy Easter, everybody. I, uh, I, I'm a pastor on staff here. And uh, I don't know, like being a pastor at a church on Easter, you shouldn't get paid. You know what I mean? It's like being a teacher on the last day of school. Or being a baseball player on opening day. Like, you're just jacked out of your mind to be around, to be in the space. And um, it's certainly true of me today. I'm, I love Easter. I hope that's not a surprise to you. I love Easter. Easter for me is the, the moment that we get to come together. We get to celebrate the geniusness of God. We, we get to come together. Maybe you didn't think that's what we're doing today, but, but that's what we're doing. We're coming together to celebrate how genius God is, that God's plan is absolutely incredible. That uh, Easter is a story about Love and romance and life and death and surprises and uh, relationships, renewal. All of this is a story that God orchestrated according to his own plan. And this is my favorite part. On Easter, we get to celebrate that everything that God planned actually happened. And that's incredible. All right, all right. right. Yeah, so, so you guys aren't really like into that. I think it's crazy because hardly any of my plans actually go according to my plan. You too? I, I want to give you one quick like, scenario in my life that was kind of embarrassing for me, if you don't mind. Um, I was in college, and I was dating this girl. She was way out of my league. That's how you're supposed to do it, guys. <laughs> and, uh, and she was like really beautiful and smart and funny and adventurous. And I, I realized I had like this short window of time to make an impression upon her. Otherwise, you know, I might not make an impression on her. And, and if I could make an impression, it could like change the course of my life forever. And so um, I thought like, I need a bold gesture. I, like a, I need like an adventure that we can go on. Something that maybe she's never done in her life that could be like a total like bucket list thing. That would really leave an impression. I, I want her to fall in love with me. And I couldn't really think of anything that would rise to that level. Like I kind of put a lot of pressure on myself. And maybe it was because I was stuck on the word fall the only thing I could think of was to go skydiving. <laughs> I thought, that fits the bill. And so I hopped online. I kind of found a place for us to go uh, near where we lived and, um, and, and to add a little bit of extra octane to the adventure side of things. I decided it'd be really cool if I kept it a secret <laughs> from her. Right, so you're already at the not genius part of my story. Well, it was kind of, it was kind of, it worked for a little bit. She was like really intrigued by the whole thing until, you know, it was a couple weeks out and then I, I told her like, hey, wear comfortable shoes. It's all the clues you get. And, and then finally she realized like, I don't, I don't know that I really, I don't know that I like being in the dark. You kind of need to tell me what we're doing so I can, you know, do all the things, get ready, like all this stuff. I kind of want to know. And so finally, after a lot of persistence, uh, she convinced me to tell her what we were doing. It was about like, I don't know, I remember it was like two or three days before we were supposed to jump. And I told her, I said, 
guess what? We're doing something amazing. Something both of us have always wanted to do. You're never going to believe it. I got us tickets to go skydiving. And I was expecting her to like shrill and shriek and give me a big hug. I got none of that. I got dry heaving instead. I wanted to take her breath away. And I did. <laughs> Now, actually, uh, I, 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 remember, um, I remember her reaction to me expressing to her what we were about to do. In my mind, these words have played on repeat since then. They're kind of like, you know, when you think you're doing something good and you find out that you were wrong, this is that moment. She, she, she said back to me, she said, you thought it would be a good idea to surprise me with skydiving? <laughs> and at that moment, I heard it. In my heart, I was like, oh, this is going to be so romantic. This is going to be so great. And when she said the words out loud, I was like, oh, yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> and so I tried to, like, explain my good intentions and kind of backpedal. But, you know, if you're explaining good intentions, you've already lost. <laughs> well, it turns out that this particular girl wasn't never going to go skydiving. She just didn't want to go on a whim. And to my surprise, she mustered up the courage to jump out of an airplane with me a couple days later. She's, this is the coolest thing ever. And um, a year later, we would uh, jump into another adventure and get engaged and become married. And so give it up for my wife, Kristen, for doing that thing. Now, here's why I tell you that story. Here's why I tell you that story. Because some of you guys are looking for a good move, and I'm just telling you, surprise skydiving. No? <laughs> no, I jeopardized our relationship with my good intentions, didn't I? I think a lot of us have good intentions. I believe actually all of us have good intentions in our life. And you, you all know that saying about good intentions. I don't have to say it for you. But we all have good intentions that sometimes don't necessarily pan out the way that we expect them to pan out. And I think Easter is a story about what to do with our good intentions. I think what we do today is actually come to, together to be in this space together and to ask ourselves, what do we do when our good intentions fail? What do you rely on beyond the plans of your life when all you have to offer is a good intention? Is there anything deeper in your life than just your good intentions? I think there was people in the story of Easter that first morning thousands of years ago who who had good intentions. Like us, there were people who wanted to do good. They wanted to care for others. They, they did what they knew to be best, only to find out that they had made a massive miscalculation. I'm speaking about the women who went to the tomb that Easter morning. I think a lot of us know a little bit about this story. You know that some women went to the tomb that Easter Sunday to do something for Jesus. We pick up their story on Easter on Sunday, but their story actually starts on Friday because the same group of women stood at the base of the cross and watched Jesus die. They loved him. They knew him. He had taught them about God. He had healed some of them. They thought that he was going to be the one who would change everything, and there they stood at the base of the cross, and they watched him die. And they watched as his body was brought off of the cross, and they watched as it was placed inside of a grave. They watched as that grave was sealed with a stone. These women 
watched it all happen. They knew exactly what happened to Jesus. And then they had to, because of their customs and their religion, go home and wait. They had to wait until the Sabbath was over for them to do something about the situation that was unfolding. And what they wanted to do was actually provide a proper burial for their friend. They, they wanted to get together and to arrange a ceremony for Jesus. So early on Sunday morning, they gathered together through tears with good intentions to see that job through. And it's their good intentions that fascinate me at Easter time. It's their good intentions that they had for this moment that actually make me think they really believed that Jesus was dead. Because they gathered spices. They did the thing for them that, that you would only do for someone who was truly dead. They gathered together early in the morning, the first moment they could get together, and they brought spices, embalming treatments, as, as it were, to the grave so that they could care properly for the body according to their customs. You only bring spices to a grave to help with the decomposition process of a body if you think someone is dead. It's their good intentions that tip us off to the fact that Easter is no myth that these women actually saw Jesus die and they were going to do something about it. And I think this story, what we're about to see here in this story, is what happens when our good intentions are met with God's better intervention. Luke, one guy who wrote the history of Jesus, talks about it this way. You guys ready to jump in? I'm a pastor on Easter, so I'm like excited about this. You guys excited about this? Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down. Calm down. I mean, just kidding. All right, here we go. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Check this out. They found the stone was rolled away from the tomb. And that's really good because uh, they had a job to do. One of the other uh, gospel writers, a guy named Matthew, says that on the way they were talking, like, there's a big problem, a big obstacle for us to accomplishing our purpose. Who's going to roll the stone away? And they got to the tomb and they found that the stone was already rolled away. But what they didn't find was the body of the Lord Jesus. They got to the place where they expected there to be a body, and what they found was no body. The tomb was, okay, um, let me, hang on, lean in for a second. Heartland's not really the type of church where like you're expected to say too much. But what I'm about to say you should say amen afterwards, okay? They found that the tomb was empty. Amen. Great job, guys. Imagine how disorienting this would have been for the women who, who were confused. They had watched him be placed there. They had watched him die. And now the tomb was empty. It kind of looks like a home invasion. The body's gone. And I can't imagine what they thought happened to the body. And they're confused and they're sort of dazed. And in the midst of this moment, this really sad moment, Luke tells us two angels appeared and their clothes shone like lightning. To add confusion to confusion, two angels show up, shining clothes, and explain to the women what happened. In their fright, here's what Luke says, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the crown, but the men said to them, here's what the angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? Come back to that question in a moment. Look at this amazing thing. He is not here. He's risen. 
Oh, you guys got it. <laughs> How amazing is it that the, the, the angels give to the women the exact thing that they need? They're wondering, has the body been stolen? Has someone hijacked the body from the grave? And the angels show up and they say, no, no, no. You're looking for that guy, Jesus. He's not here. And his body wasn't stolen. God raised him up from the dead to new life. God has done something about this. He's not here. He has risen. He's alive. And I imagine in this moment, just whoever's like carrying, carrying the spices just kind of lets him fall to the ground. Disbelief, amazement. I think that's okay. Because if your primary mission on Easter Sunday is to go to the tomb where Jesus' body is, to anoint his body with spices, to have a customary burial, and the body that you're there to anoint is no longer there and is no longer dead, you don't need the spices any longer. They look around. I imagine, I imagine that they realize that their good intentions had been foiled. Their, their good intentions had been met by God's better interventions. Easter is a day where we celebrate the better interventions of God in our life. For Easter is a day where we celebrate the fact that God's plans always trump our plans. God's plans are always better than our plans. There's nothing in this world that we have a plan for that God doesn't have a better plan for. On Sunday, here's how it went for the ladies. They go, and they're, they're, they're going to actually pay attention to Jesus, to do something for Jesus. And uh, think about how much better God's plan was than their plan. They were going to go get into a grave to help a corpse, but God had led Jesus out of that grave. They, they were there to get their concerns about decomposition in order, and God had already taken it upon himself to host a recomposition. They were going there to do something for Jesus, but God was doing something for them in Jesus. God had intervened. God had taken the first step. God had done the impossible. God had raised Jesus from the dead. He had totally flipped the script. To use my, my friend James's words, he had changed the game, changed the scorecard. And the angels, I don't know if you heard this in, in the question that the angels asked. The angels kind of assume that the women should have known this. You, did you see it? They kind of assume like, how do you guys not know what's been going on? Here, here's the question so we come back to. Here's what the angels asked the women. So why do you look for the living among the dead? It's almost as if the angels, to me, are stunned that these women's actions, that they would come to the grave to take care of a corpse when it was never the intention for the corpse to be there too long. This is a question of shock. But the women are not living in light of the reality that Jesus is alive. And the angels, they, they ask this question. Look at the rest of what Luke says they asked him. So they say, he's not here, he's risen. And then he says this, remember how he told you while he was out with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified and on the third day be raised again. And then in that moment, they remembered his words. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but um, when I read the scriptures, I see many, many times where Jesus is with comical accuracy telling his disciples exactly what was going to happen in the future 
and they still missed it. I could go in any sort of direction here in the Bible and kind of point to you, but let me just back up a couple chapters in Luke and show you one of these moments where Jesus called his shot, so to speak. Look at this. This is uh, Luke chapter 18. Jesus took the 12 aside and said to them, now, now just follow along. We're going up to Jerusalem. How many know that he did that? He did that. And everything that is written about the, by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Watch this. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. Check. Next one. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. How is he doing with his accuracy so far? Spot on. And on the third day, he will rise again. And I love this. The disciples didn't understand any of this. Right, I mean, doesn't it feel like it's like so human? Doesn't it feel so much like you and me? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't criticize the disciples. I don't think we should look poorly upon them. I mean, there's a lot of kids in the room right now. Kids, maybe you can play along with me. Um, kids, sometimes parents don't even know the plans that they have, do they? Any kids um, ever get in a car with a parent only to have your parent go the wrong way? Raise them high. Yeah, yeah. Kids, have any parents ever told you that you had to go to one store with them? Right? I mean, what is that? Next time you end up at the different store, be like, hey, this pastor said that would happen. <laughs> right? Parents, you owe them ice cream after that, okay? Like, kids, you agree? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's, what's, here's, what's, here's what I find to be interesting is that all of us live our lives with some sort of limited perspective of what's going on around us, right? Like, like I... I don't know what this next week is going to hold. I've got my plans, but I don't know how they're going to find their way to completion. But, but it's after Jesus is raised, after he is resurrected from, from the dead, and these women are standing there in the tomb, and the angels tell them, remember he told you all this was going to happen, that they remembered, and the plan of God came into absolute clarity for them, and they could see the plan all along, and they had this collective like, oh, Huh, of faith. They had this moment where they replayed all of the things that Jesus said he was going to do, and they said, my goodness, he did tell us that he would rise from the dead. He did tell us that he would suffer. I thought when he said he was going to rise, it was like a metaphor. But he actually meant he would come back from the dead. And here he's done it. And these women in this moment see for the very first time all the stitches and the threads that God had been weaving together and the promises that he had made in his great plan ever since the beginning. They looked at God's plan and Jesus said, this is genius. Here's how, here's how genius God's plan is. From the moment that death entered the world, all the way back in Adam and Eve time, right, God had made a promise with Eve that he would crush Satan through the offspring of the woman. He said that Satan would have uh, a battle, but, but th that the, the son would win the war. And on Good Friday, Satan waged a battle. But on Easter, come on somebody, Jesus won the war. They, they thought, 
that, that it was going to be a fight, but it wasn't even close. God's plan to restore his world, it was then announced, not just from the moment he dealt with sin in the garden, he continued to announce it for years and generations, all the way leading up to the time that Jesus was born. For hundreds of years, even before Jesus was ever alive, people were talking about this son of man that would come to put everything right that had been fractured. Some of these people didn't even know Jesus, but they proclaimed promises from God that would refer to Jesus. I want to put this back up. This is what Jesus says. He says to his followers, everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. How many things? Everything. Everything. So here's what pastors do throughout the week because a lot of people think I just work on Sunday. Um, I spent a lot of time this week trying to find the everything read books, I had all these things figured out, these things open, books, helps, all this stuff. Researching, how many promises are there in the Bible that talk about Jesus being the Son of God? A conservative estimate that I found was over 100 promises, 100 prophecies just in the Old Testament. That's a very conservative number. Some people are kind of crazy. They think think there's like 500, 600 promises. Some people are super stingy. They think there's like 48 What are the odds that Jesus, one person, would fulfill everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man? Well, actually, a a researcher uh, a couple years ago, a mathematician, actually took his class to task saying, let's figure out the mathematical probability that one person would fulfill all of the promises in history that God had made about the Messiah. And so they did this calculation. I'd love to share the number with you, but I can't speak math. So I did a little bit of rough math to translate their equation into something that we could all understand, the probability of of one person fulfilling everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man. And do you want to know uh, how that works? It's the same probability of you filling out a perfect March Madness bracket. 11 years in a row. Y'all know nobody's ever done that once, let alone 11 years in a row. The resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday is something that proves to us the plan of God is Jesus resurrected for our new life. That Jesus did fulfill everything that was written by the prophets about the Son of Man on Easter Sunday. It's a day where we celebrate the genius plan of God that he came and sent his son to die for our sins and to be raised to new life so that we could know his plan and walk in it. So here's the question again. Women at the tomb, why do you look for the living among the dead? And the women's answer would simply be this. This is just what I've led us through. We didn't know he was alive. And we've just figured out the big plan of God. You know how like Easter is a really cheery day. Like you're hopefully wearing bright colors and like you're going to go have tulips on the table today and pastels and all that stuff. Easter is a really cheery day, but I think about this question. This question right here has a bit of an edge in my soul. I've been thinking about this question a lot because it's spoken to me through the pages of history and for centuries it screams out at me as a question not just asked of some women in a tomb 2,000 years ago, but 
It's almost as if the angel is asking me, Dan, hey, why do you, you look for the living among the dead? Originally, they were asking that question kind of as like, why are you living as if Jesus hasn't been raised? Don't you know the big plan of God? And for, for me, I think about that and I think about you and I think we've all heard that Jesus has been raised and the big plan of God is to put everything back together, including your life. And so why do you look for the living among the dead? Do you see it? Do you feel it? It's a question that the angel asks that kind of implies that there are things that we do in this life that are trying to find satisfaction in our lives. They're, they're, they're practices that we have, pursuits that we have that we think are going to offer us some satisfaction or some promise or some fulfillment, but often we're looking for the living in places where the living is not. How many people know this to be true without me even like preaching to you? We look for the living in the land of the dead. We look for satisfaction in funny places, don't we? Just take college Dan. College Dan trying to surprise his girlfriend with a really bold move. You know, the looking for the living for me was a, a bold date to, to get her to see me and to say, I like him. But how many people know there's always a thing behind the thing, right? There's always a layer deeper about which our actions are sort of surfacing, but there's really a core issue at play. For me, I guess you could really just say you were looking for someone to love you. You were, you were looking for someone to accept you. you know, I, I know from my own heart, I wanted someone to love me so unconditionally. I, I wanted someone to love me like that old song from the 90s says, she likes me for me, right? I wanted that. I wanted to be told that I was enough for someone. I wanted to be told that I belong, that I was acceptable. I was looking for that type of life. But I was taking that search to someone who was also on that search who could never give it to me. When we take our quest, our purpose, our significance to anything other than God, we find out that it's often dead. Maybe your thing isn't acceptance. Maybe you're very secure in who you are. Uh, maybe your thing is actually more of um, finding the soul-satisfying life through your accomplishments. This past uh, week, I ran across this quote, this little passage from an author named um, David Brooks. He writes about happiness often and I want to read it to you. It's a little lengthy. I'm just going to read it out loud. He, here's what he says about accomplishments. He says, on my 40th birthday, I made a bucket list of things I hope to do or achieve. We can kind of relate. They were mainly accomplishments that only a geek could want. Writing books and columns about serious subjects, teaching in a top school, traveling to give lectures and speeches, maybe even leading a university or a think tank. Whatever these good and noble goals were or were not, they were my goals. And I imagined that if I hit them, I would be satisfied. And I found that list nine years ago when I was 48. And I realized I had achieved every item on it. I had been a tenured professor and then a president of a think tank. I was giving frequent speeches. I had written some books that had sold well. And I was writing columns for the New York Times. But none of that had brought me the lasting joy I'd envisioned. Each accomplishment thrilled me for a day or a week or maybe a month at most. 
And then I reached for the next rung on the ladder. I mean, that's kind of all the water that we swim in, isn't it? Yeah. This question, why do you look for the living among the dead is an Easter question. It is a question that God reaches out to us through the annals of time to ask our hearts right now, what are you looking for that I haven't already provided for you? You feel how profound that question is. Thankfully, I think the answer to this question that leads us down into this road of understanding ourselves, the way to get back out of that trap is actually by this question. The question answers it for us. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Well, the way for us to actually find the living is truly to believe the one who is living. To come to Jesus and say, you're the one who has changed the course of history. You're the one who has given purpose and meaning to this life. You're the one who is the focal point of God's plan for humanity. You're the one who is no longer dead. You are alive. And so I come to you with all of my purpose. I come to you with my identity. I come for you, to you for my source of belonging and acceptance. Not my accomplishments, my good intentions, but your better intervention for me. And here's the last few words of what the angels say to the women. Here, here it is. Matthew kind of records this for us. He says, he is not here. He's risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. Easter is a day where we bring our good intentions and find that God has had a better intervention and gives us the best invitation. Did you catch it? The best invitation right here is what, is what he said. Come and see. Easter is a time where we are all invited to come and look at the empty grave to remember that Jesus Christ was dead. He was crucified and is no longer dead, but he is alive. Come and see with your own eyes. See, hear with your own ears. Hear the power of changed lives because the tomb is empty. Come and see, experience it. Make this part of God's new life available to you in your life. But come and see is kind of just like akin to come be amazed. Come marvel. Come and say, wow, God's big. The best invitation is actually the words that follow. He invited the women to come and see, and then look what he said. He said, then go and tell. And this is the genius plan of God, is that we learn today on Easter that not only did he bring all of his, his focal point of his work in Jesus together in his resurrection, that all of his creation could have access to him once more, that their sins could be forgiven, that the, their new life could be restored by faith in Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Not only did he ask us to come and see it, but he invites people like you and like me, absolute knuckleheads, people who try and surprise their girlfriends with skydiving trips, People who try and work their way up corporate ladders trying to get better chrome in the driveway. People who endlessly scroll the parade of faces thinking there's satisfaction out there. God invites you and me to participate in his plan. He tells the women, don't just look, but go tell that Jesus is alive. And I'm so glad that those women on that first Easter Sunday actually did 
what the angel invited them to do. I'm so glad that they actually left that tomb that day and told the disciples that Jesus is not in the tomb, but he's alive. Because from that moment forward, their simple act of obedience lit a match to the world where the news of Jesus spread like wildfire around the region and across the world and throughout time all the way to a tiny little speck in the corner of the universe called Olathe, Kansas. Where today, you and I, Rehearse the marvel of this invitation that God's plan has been fulfilled in Jesus, that the purpose for your life can be found. And it's not in doing something for Jesus, it's in telling the world about the change in your life because of Jesus. There's an invitation, friends, for us to experience God's power today. <laughs> it's genius. The fact that you and I, we wouldn't be the type of people who are coroners attending to the dead body of Jesus, but we'd be couriers. So oh, I like how that sounds. We'd be people who take the message. We'd be people who bring the news as a gift to the world from God that says he sees you and he loves you and he's changed the scoreboard for you. I want to give you an invitation right here, right now, because this is an invitation for you. Maybe today uh, is a day where you've never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, but you want to respond to his invitation. I'd love for you to personally confess, to just declare to God this intention of your heart. And if you want to do that, I'd just love for you to kind of close your eyes, bow your head, and just say a simple prayer to God with me. This is no magic in these words, just a way to start a conversation between you and him where you could confess with your heart through your mind and your words that you want Jesus to be your Lord. And here, here's just what you could say to God. You could say, God, change my life according to your plan. I believe you rose Jesus from the dead. I believe he's the living God. And I want to know you. I want to trust you. Forgive me of the good intentions that I've had that have led me away from you. Make me new. Help me live my life in your power. It's in your name, I pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, before we stand and sing, I just want to give you one encouragement. If you prayed that prayer today, you have an opportunity to join the best invitation of God in your life, just like the women did that day. You've come and you've seen that the tomb is empty and that God is alive in Jesus. He's got power for you, significance you've never believed was possible for you, satisfaction for your soul. But don't just come and see. The invitation for you is to go and tell. So if you pray that prayer today and maybe it's the people in your family, today over lunch, you want to just say, hey guys, I just want you to know I think I got a new start today in my life with God. I believe that Jesus is alive and I just want to tell you because I want to respond to that invitation. That'd be amazing. If you want to talk to somebody up here after the service, we'll be here. If you want to talk to somebody in the atrium, you want to send me an email because you're like, I don't know who to talk to, but I want someone to know. Just danj at heartlandchurch.org. Love to hear your story about how God's changing your life. But the invitation for us today is to see all of our good intentions met with God's better intervention as we receive the best 
invitation.